Welcome back to The Shelf Oddities. My name is Erie. And I'm Serafina. And the oddity that I am today is a makeup brush, okay, but the handle is actually a wet specimen tentacle from an octopus. Hmm. Now, do people make that? Because I feel like that's a business venture. If they do make that, someone is literally selling that in one of the oddity groups that I follow on Facebook. It is incredible. That sounds incredible. This week, the oddity I'm feeling like is a vintage suffragette pamphlet encouraging women to get out and vote. Hell yeah. And that takes us right into our topic today. I'm just going to cut to it. I got a lot on my mind and I feel like let's talk. Let's talk. So today I would love to discuss the female gaze. We are both women who adore women and the female gaze is something I find to be such an interesting discussion. It's a media concept at the start, but I think it's more a psychology theory more than anything. I would also like to say moving forward, most of these terms are older art concepts getting new breath now, mostly on TikTok, which is where this came to light for me. I mean, obviously, once you talk about it, for me, it became obvious, but TikTok really brought it to the forefront that this is what it was called. Um, So if you're listening to this now, feeling like you might not be included in the term female or male gaze, you still have a place here. The female gaze to me is more so the feminine gaze or the more empathetic gaze. And we'll get into that later. Get the privilege of living in a time where this two gender binary isn't the only acceptable way to present now. If you know in your heart of hearts that you are my sister, you are my sister and that's the end of it. So when you hear me say the female gaze, it really is just the antithesis to the stereotypical white cis male view that Hollywood loves to give in a plethora. And if you're someone who has a problem with feminists or women in general, sorry, this one might not be the cup of tea for you, but it might just be the spoonful of medicine you really need. Also, fuck gender. It's a social construct. Amen, sister. So if you don't know where the term female gaze comes from, the first, I love that every time I say female gaze, I just think like lesbians, like the female gaze. The female gaze. That is what I am thinking of as well. The female point of view. The female gaze. The first time the female gaze was coined was in a 1975 essay titled Visual Pleasure in the Narrative Cinema, written by Laura Mulvey. Mulvey didn't actually use the term female gaze, but she did speak out against what is called the male gaze. The article was a critique of Hitchcock's Review Mirror, where in the article the distinction is made that the male gaze isn't always a man actively looking at a woman, but the camera itself creating the male gaze, or more specifically, the male behind the camera, as that art gorgeous has pointed out in a recent article. At its core, the female gaze is used to describe how women look at things through their own eyes, versus how men think women see things. Women look at things with different desires than men perceive us to. If we're going just romantic, my favorite comparison on this is how men think all women lust after Marvel's Thor, but most women find their eyes going to Loki instead. It's actually why I think most of us go for the villains. The Jeffrey Dean Morgans playing Negan in The Walking Dead, the Anakins or the Kylo Ren's in Star Wars, ghost-faced for you, Eerie. Oh, wow. The female gaze doesn't look to objectify. It looks to appreciate, humanize, and relate to. It's seeing people where they are in their complexities that are more than the caveman brain. Oh, they're pretty. <laughs> Ooh, strong men, big muscles. It's more so about where your heart lies. The female gaze is also used to see how women see women, see each other as intelligent, funny, smart, caring people. We aren't looking to see who's sexier compared to a society standard. 
The female gaze lends itself to see the vulnerable, the strong, the human side. I think Socio Mix also said it best here. When the audience consumes a male gaze centered story, the perspective masculinizes the audience. That's it. It gives the audience masculine characteristics. In the case of the male gaze, the masculine characteristics include those of making the audience think of the woman as an object, no matter the gender of the person consuming the work. Think about that, how then affects the audience, these ideas of women needing to serve men to make them happy, or you should always look good for your man. This type of thinking, even in 2022, is partially created and definitely reinforced by works of art that are from the male gaze. With the female gaze, however, the audience is feminized, meaning that the audience is made to feel the desires of women in the film. These females' desires, including wanting to make the audience know how women really feel, leveling the playing field between men and women. The female gaze aims to bring more awareness, consciousness, and balance. Whereas the male gaze, up until this point, aims to keep the masculine on top and make everything else seem lesser. Some great references in comparison here. I'd like to start out with Margot Robbie playing Harley Quinn. When you look at the Suicide Squad versus Birds of Prey, you're looking at two very different Harleys. Mm -hmm. In Birds of Prey, Harley is just as seductive, vicious, and as fun as before, but she doesn't have a dog collar around her neck like she does in James Gunn's Suicide Squad because she directed it herself. Her ponytails are shorter, she has bangs, she's wearing clothes, making her look like an adult as a woman who was trying to face the society that she's a part of instead of the weird slow-mo shots of her getting undressed and dressed in the middle of a yard surrounded by a bunch of other prisoners. Super odd, but I think that it's a good starting point to show how different the two can be. Not to stick in comic books, but we've just seen so much difference in the last couple years, especially for me. I typically watch a lot of those things, so I see a lot of the difference here. Another great one, also DC, is Wonder Woman versus Justice League. The costumes alone are a huge comparison. We go from Patty Jenkins directing leather-bound warriors to a Zack Snyder directing a leather bra and high-slit skirt. I can also just say, Patty Jenkins got me together. <laughs> Here's something that our little oddlings probably don't know yet, but I'm 6'1". And I have been since I was 13. So when I saw these glorious goddesses fighting on a beach in the opening scene, it really brought a light to this cold giant's heart. They are beautiful, they have clothes on, and they're strong. And that was something that was really nice to be brought to the big screen, but also really weird considering I think I was like 24 when that movie came out. Oh yeah. So like I had gone my whole life without really seeing like strong women in DC and like don't get me wrong like Anne Hathaway and like the Dark Knight Rises and stuff like she's strongish but also like she's in like leather she's in like a cat suit yeah. and like she's like they're all just like I think Halle Berry you know I think Michelle Pfeiffer I mean we're talking sexy as hell but that's basically their whole character when you boil down to it even though they have very interesting stories especially in the comics because the comics just have a plethora they have to be more than just a sidekick. Also, I mean, to get out of comics, look at McLovin versus Booksmart. While McLovin is very meme-worthy and a pretty funny film, Booksmart is its witty box office sister that follows two young girls figuring out who they are and it's hilarious. That's also directed by Olivia Wilde. I mean, in McLovin, they have like a whole section of like making fun of a woman because she was like on her period. Ugh. You know, like, I don't know. Like it just, it doesn't hit the same. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> 
Um, and I could also not skip over Clueless. That's a woman-directed film that shows that women can be fashionable and smart. Cheryl's speech about immigration, when more people show up to your dinner party than invited, you don't kick them out, you get a longer table, was revolutionary. You can love your ex-stepbrother and be socially aware at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> and before I go on to another form of media, I want to touch on Reese Witherspoon. And I'm going to be in this section for a while. I'm sorry, but I love you her. You we were talking about Legally Blonde? Oh, I oh obsessed yes. obsessed with that movie. Yes. Something, I know that we always talk about I'm death in your life, and sure, I'm like, you know, very much the gothy, small mm-hmm. emo child of this relationship. But if I were to describe myself, the dichotomy of two women, it is Morticia Adams and Elle Woods. Wow. Yeah, I see that. You know what's really funny about me and you is that we know I'm life and I'm a gardener and I'm all these things, but like I was I was emo before Oh any you know, like I absolutely I was more so towards that. So like I have I if I were to say anything, like I would say I, I have a little bit of them in me too. Oh, you know, great. like I think that's why our blend works so well because we're both a little bit of each other at the same time. Which I think most women are. We all have a common bond of we can be dark and light and mm-hmm. all things considered. So yes, let's talk about Legally Blonde because I find so much inspiration for some of her creed. I mean, Legally Blonde truly raised a generation of females. We found hope in being, you can have all of society against you and raise up. And that one thing that everyone makes fun of you for is the one thing that's gonna make or break you. Yep. And when it makes you, what a celebration. I think it's funny we're talking about Legally Blonde because I just watched this movie with a small child who is under the age of 10. And that is a very complex movie for a small female child to understand. However, she had some epic one-liners from watching this movie, such as, what are men even good for? And, uh, you know, that's a quote. That is a quote. Truly. And I mean, also Jennifer Coolidge. Ugh. Can we just take a moment? I'm taking the dog, dumbass. I'm taking the dog, dumbass. I also find it interesting to follow her career as well, to go from this actress to this powerhouse producer. It, she is 5'2", blonde as all hell, cute as all hell, and she's taking on the industry. And I just, I find so much love in, in myself for her. Finding power in owning a producing company, taking books written by females to then direct and produce them all by females as well is huge. And it, I mean, you would think for how many years Hollywood has been doing stuff that that would already be happening, but it's not. She's opening doors. Big Little Lies is one of my favorite TV shows of all time. The female gaze in this show is so well done. This is a show about five different women's lives, their love, their children, their hopes, their fears. And I don't want to spoil anything because I think everyone should go and see it no matter what gender you are. It's truly, it just transcends genre, it transcends gender, it transcends society. And I know I love to really speak about the things I like and really push them, but I really do like Big Little Lies. Even the second season lives up to the first. Reese Witherspoon had a speech that I'm going to recite now because I think the more people hear it, the more chance it has to help someone like it helped me. And it's kind of long, so bear with me, but it's important to hear it fully. She here was accepting an award, and it starts off here. I'm so excited that many young women are here tonight. This all started for me when I was a little girl. I was 14 years old when I learned that I love acting, and I still do. Acting allows me to slip into the skin of all kinds of different women, and not in a creepy silence of the lambs way, 
but in a way that lets me explore the full spectrum of humanity. Every woman I've ever played is passionate and strong and flawed, except for Tracy Flick. She's 100% perfect, and she made me say that. But I also learned at 14 years old that I was ambitious, really ambitious. Did I say that out loud? Let's talk about ambition. I want everybody to close their eyes and think of a dirty word, like a really dirty word. Now open your eyes. Was any of your words ambition? I didn't think so. See, I just kind of started wondering lately why female ambition is a trait that people are so afraid of. Why do people have prejudiced opinions about women who accomplish things? Why is that perceived as negative? In a study by Georgetown University in 2005, a group of professors asked candidates to evaluate male efficient versus female efficient in politicians. Respondents were less likely to vote for power-seeking women than power-seeking men. They also perceived ambitious women as looking out for themselves. They even reported ambitious women as provoking feelings of disgust. Now in my life, I have always found more comfort in being the underdog. Whether people thought I couldn't do something or they said it was impossible, I always rose to the challenge. I enjoy reaching for the impossible. I remember when I was 18 years old and applying to colleges, I had this male college counselor and he said, don't even bother applying to Stanford, sweetie. Your SAT scores aren't good enough. But I did it anyway and I got in. Which, taking a break from her speech, literally legally blonde. Like, hello. Literally. When I got into the film business, I was doing dramas and a casting director didn't know if I would be funny. So I did a comedy, Legally Blonde. And then my entire career, I was pigeonholed. I did comedies. They didn't think I was serious. I did dramas. They didn't think I was funny. And I got older and they didn't think I could still be viable. So about three years ago, I found myself very curious about the state of the movie business. I really wondered how the digital evolution was affecting the landscape of filmmaking and specifically why studios were making fewer and fewer movies. So I started asking questions and I decided to meet with the heads of each of the different movie studios that I had been friends with for years and I had made so many movies with them. Each of the meetings started with something very casual like how are your kids and wow it's really been that long since Walk the Line. At the end of the meeting I sort of casually brought up so how many movies are in development with a female lead? And by lead, I don't mean wife of the lead or girlfriend of the lead, the lead, the hero of the story. I was met with nothing. Blank stares, excessive blinking, uncomfortable shifting. No one wanted to answer the question because the fact was that studios weren't developing anything starring a woman. The only studio that was, was turning a man's role into a woman's role. And the studio heads didn't apologize. They don't have to apologize. They are interested in profits. And after all, they run subsidiary companies of giant corporations. This was 2012 and it made no sense to me. Where are our Sally Field and Norma Ray or Sigourney Weaver and Alien or Goldie Hawn and you name it any Golden Hawn movie? Overboard, Wild, Wildcats, Private Benjamin. These women shaped my idea of what it meant to be a woman of strength and character and human in this world. And my beautiful, intelligent daughter, who is 16 years old now, would not grow up idolizing the same group of women. Instead, she would be forced to watch a chorus of talented, accomplished women saran wrap in tight leather pants, tottering along on very cute but completely impractical shoes, turn around to a male lead and ask breathlessly, what do we do now? Seriously, I'm not kidding. Go back and watch any movie and you'll see this line over and over. I love to ask questions, but it's my most hated question. I dread reading scripts that have no women involved in their creation because inevitably I get to a part where the girl turns to the guy and says, 
what do we do now? Do you know any woman in any crisis situation who has absolutely no idea what to do? I mean, don't they tell people in crisis, even children, if you're in trouble, talk to a woman. It's ridiculous that a woman wouldn't know what to do. So anyway, after going to these studios and telling people that there's barely any female leads in films and the industries in crisis, people were aghast. That's horrible, they said. And then they changed the subject and moved on with their dinner and moved on with their lives. But I could not change the subject. I couldn't turn to some man and say, what do we do now? This is my life. I've made movies all of my life for 25 years since I was 14 years old. It was time to turn to myself and say, okay, Reese, what are we going to do now? The answer was very clear to me. My mother, who is here tonight, a very strong, smart Southern woman said to me, if you want something done, honey, do it yourself. So I started my own production company, Pacific Standard Films, with the mission to tell stories about women. And I was nervous, y'all. I was spending my own money, which everyone in the movie business tells you not to. I was warned on the crazy chance that Pacific Standard would acquire any good script. We would never make it past our first few years in business because there just wasn't a market for buying female-driven material. But like Elle Woods, I do not like to be underestimated. I'm a very avid reader. In fact, I'm a complete book nerd. So is my producing partner. So we tore through tons of manuscripts and read so many things before they were published. But we could only find two pieces of materials that we thought were right. We optioned them with our own money and we prayed that they would work. Both had strong, complicated, fascinating women at the center and both were written by women. And lo and behold, both books hit number one on the New York Times bestseller list. One is called Gone Girl and the second is called Wild. So we made those two films last year and those two films rose to over half a billion dollars worldwide and we got three Academy nominations for women in acting performances. So that's year one. Against the odds, Pacific Standards has had a year two and year three. We bought five more best-selling books. Next year, we're gonna make two of those, Big Little Lies and Luckiest Girl Alive into films. We have over 25 films in development and three television shows, and they all have female leads of different ages and different races and different jobs. Some are astronauts, some are soldiers, some are scientists, one's even a Supreme Court justice. They're not just good or bad. They're bold and hunted and dangerous and triumphant, like the real women we meet every single day of our lives. But our company isn't just thriving because it feels like a good thing to do. It's thriving because female-driven films work. Films with women at the center are not a public service project. They are a big-time, bottom-line-enhancing, money-making commodity. I think that we are in a culture crisis in every field. In every industry, women are underrepresented and underpaid in leadership positions. Under 5% of CEOs of Fortune 500 companies are women. Only 19% of Congress is women. No wonder we don't have the healthcare we deserve, or paid family leave, or public access to early childhood education. That really worries me. How can we expect legislation of our own needs to be served if we don't have equal representation? So here's my hope. If you're in politics, media, the tech industry, or working as an entrepreneur, or a teacher, or a construction worker, or a caregiver, you know the problems we are all facing. I urge each one of you to ask yourself, what do we do now? That's a big question. What is it in life that you think you can't accomplish? Or what is it that people have said that you cannot do? Wouldn't it feel really good just to prove them all wrong? Because I believe ambition is not a dirty word. It's just believing in yourself and your abilities. Imagine this, 
What would happen if we were all brave enough just to be a little bit more ambitious? I think the world would change. This speech happened in 2015, and I think we're in a slightly different world now. That speech did change in the producer sphere. We can see that change in films by Greta Gerwig, Olivia Wilde, Patty Jenkins, and I'm so excited to see where it goes. Isn't that a wild speech? It is insane. I mean, when I'm telling you, when I, I watched that happen in 2015 and, like, felt changed, I was like, she right. She right. She right. She's, she's she right. Change. She's definitely right. So, that now brings me to maybe a male's take on the female gaze and the artist that brought that concept to life for me in music, which is Hosier. Ah, uh, Yes. I've been in the top 0.05% of his listeners for the last three years on Spotify. Uh, So it's not surprising that I'm going to sing his praises. But his music truly lends itself to be one of the few pieces of male-made media that is strictly in the female gaze. He talks about women in the way that women dream to be written about. Even when he's being horny on Maine, he's still talking about his partner that he's in the moment with. And not the shape of her body, which I'm guessing I'm thinking is the comparison there, right? Ed Sheeran, two <laughs> Irish singers, one who is in love with a woman's mind and one who sings about loving women's bodies. Hosier writes lyrics like, She moved with shameless wonder, the perfect creature rarely seen, but my heart is heavy with the hate of some other man's belief. To be so aware of culture, to see that there's a woman who is free and lovely and perfect but my societal condition causes me to look at her wrongly how can i fix this and the rest of the song is literally about how men ruin everything good and pure um and then in here to be alone he states never feel too good in crowds with folks around when they're playing the anthems of rape culture loud i mean what man is writing a a song calling out society like that Uh, I mean, in this poetic way to protect women, to be grateful of women. And then, of course, my favorite, when in work song, he croons, when my time comes around, lay me gently in the cold, dark earth. No grave can hold my body down. I'll crawl home to her. It's beautiful. I mean, come on. So good. (laughs) In so many of his songs, he is living to serve and worship his partner, not the other way around. Don't even get me started on From Eden, I Will Stop Here, I've Done Enough, Too Many Lyrics. Um, But you get the point. I'm in love with his art, but not only am I obsessed with him, the lesbian community is also obsessed with him and have an inside joke. He's a reincarnated lesbian elder (laughs) because he sees women like women who love women see women, which is the best line I've ever written. um, And that will go in our hall of fame because it's true. And when you compare to all of that, to I'm in love with the shape of you. I'm in love with your body. Like, thanks, Ed. Thanks, thanks, Ed. We appreciate that. Like, it's not a culture thing, you know? It's not like certain cultures are doing it more or less. It's literally about breaking society's chains around you and your relationship with the people that you're supposed to be in love with. Another mainstream artist that I truly think has the female gaze down is Harry Styles, who I'm also a huge fan of. Any man that women can feel safe with, I'm generally a big fan of. And there are a decade of interviews with him as a teenager and as a grown adult, but as a teenager saying, stop calling me a playboy, I'm not. Don't ask me about my game with women because it's not a game. I know the bar is so low, it's typically in hell, but for these types of things, he credits his mother raising him right. And I agree. 
imagine having all of that pressure on you at like 16 years old and being like stop treating women like this yeah that's incredible it's really insane and then to just get older and like age like fine wine um and i know that i tend to start on a topic and then go off kilter for a second but welcome to my brain and i would just like to say i find it really weird that the generations that grew up on bowie and elvis have this problem with harry styles well, back in my day, men didn't wear dresses, blah, blah. It's not your day anymore. Mm-hmm. Don't you get that? Look around. The sun has set on your day, my dude. The sun has set on your day, exactly. Appreciate that the kids are listening to some really cool music that's fun and uplifting and move along. Harry Styles is at the top of his game, having a blast every night, creating a space that people feel safe in to be themselves. I have a theory that the AIDS crisis is actually what led to so many of that generation painting their whole house gray and beige and like listening to AM radio and only the hits from their own days. I agree with the elder gays that we lost during that time because man, their place in society should have filled the streets with song and dance, helped their brothers and sisters smile and joke and not become this weird drab prison they've built for themselves. Anyway, sorry. Harry Styles has the female gaze down. And this is where that female versus male gaze takes an interesting turn psychology-wise. Because it's only cis men calling Harry Styles gay or queer. Even though the grip that man has on every other woman I know is, I mean, it's incalculable. So you're telling me that this funny, sassy British man has a chokehold on all the ladies and you're calling him gay? You know who I think is gay? Maybe you. And I don't mean that as an insult. I mean that as a please take time to sit with yourself and your relationship with men and women. If you're spending your time looking for male validation in the gym or working on cars with your buds or drinking cases of beers to impress your bros because you care about male validation more than anything else, that's okay. Just be gay. Love your bros. (laughs) Stop hurting women because you don't care about our opinion. If you don't care about the opinions or the thoughts or the interests of the women around you, you don't love them. Kiss your homies on the lips and enjoy your life. Always kiss the homies goodnight. Always kiss the homies goodnight. It's like, stop calling people gay as an insult. It's not, I mean, it's, it's I 2022 mean, now. Oh, okay? what if he is gay? Who cares? I, who fucking Have you cares? heard his music? He respects his fellow humans yeah, tight. Him. Oh yeah. my god. Like, come on, guys. I wish I could tell you that's not where I go often, but as an ADHD having person, my pattern recognition is something else. I can typically tell you more about yourself in 10 minutes of meeting than most male partners can tell me about their girlfriends in an hour. Women are these deep, rich cauldrons of joy and life and pain and wit. And watching movies made by them and and content produced by them and for us is such a privilege that I'm glad our generation and those younger than us get to enjoy as much as we do. What's odd is that when silent films came out in the beginning of the silver screen, women were allowed to direct and then it became a boys club. Like Reese said in her speech earlier, there is a culture crisis and our entertainment media is just a part of it. This gets into a longer conversation that gets emotional and heated because for some reason in 22, we still have men tell us that we're wrong because they truly can't see it because their media does not show it. But the female gaze isn't just in media. It's not just a concept. It's the different realities that we are living in day to day. And I wrote a whole section about a certain person that's become very famous 
in media or on TikTok specifically recently for his anti-women beliefs. And I was gonna go into this whole thing, but truly I don't wanna give this person any more recognition than they have. I don't want people who don't know about him to find him. If you don't know, consider yourself lucky. But every generation has a man who gets famous on the internet for telling women that they shouldn't be able to drive or for telling women's choosing their career is selfish over being a mother. And if you're one of these people who are listening to these types of people or held space for them in any way, just know that you're siding with the oppressor and no one appreciates that. And if you're a parent and you're listening to this, please watch what your child is doing on the internet. We are in a culture crisis right now that goes even deeper than the battle of the sexes. Our parents tended to just let us run wild with a computer and didn't do anything about it until the damage was already done if they did anything at all. Please don't let that happen to your babies like it happened to us. I have been lucky to be raised by Lady Gaga and Pat Benatar and Dolly Parton and Madonna and Aretha Franklin Women who were at the top of their game and did not forget the communities that put them there. Bringing awareness and helping shape society to be a kinder place where these communities' voices aren't just heard but celebrated. This podcast is brought to you by The Gay Agenda. Absolutely. <laughs> but truly, when we stand together and appreciate music and art created by anyone outside of the cookie-cutter box, the world becomes a brighter, more colorful world. There are dark forces in this world trying to hold our hearts in boxes and tell us what we can or can't do, and we are more powerful than that. To quote a modern philosopher, Megan D. Stallion, if I was worried about y'all, how y'all are worried about me, I'd be fucked up too. Preach. And I live by that. And if you're still listening to this, after all of this, you have earned some vulnerability from me. If you are someone greatly affected by the devastation that's happening with Roe v. Wade being overturned, I just want you to know that I am too. I am with you. Owning a uterus has been terrible for me. Not in a dysmorphic way, but in a, it's trying to kill me every day, and having a child would put me in great risk. And even attempting to have children could end in an atopic pregnancy for me. And now that lawyers and politicians want to play doctor with the law, that could mean a death sentence for people like me who have even less access to safe health care. And I want you to know that in this space that me and Erie have created, you're not alone. You are standing with us in this haunted house, and we see you and support you. I hope you find comfort on our shelves from this crazy-ass world. Stay safe out there, and stay on Arcadia.